Holy Hour of Power, the Terry and Jesse show. Some people say it stands for truth and justice, or maybe totally Jesus. Amen. Well, we're High Energy Cat, Blue Collar Catholic Radio. We are two Catholics that love the Lord, love Our Lady, faithful to Holy Mother Church. And in this program, we engage the culture of death with prayer, fasting, and full contact Catholicism. I'm reporting for duty. Well, I'm glad you're reporting for duty, Jesse, and so am I. And Jess, this is really an interesting show because we have an interview regarding something that's very popular in America. Uh, they call it the um, prosperity gospel. It's about greed and bad philosophy. It corrupts the gospel. We know that. But a gentleman wrote a book on this, and we're going to be interviewing him about just that. Also, we're going to get back to the uh, point about Bishop Strickland and his statements regarding uh, the SSPX, that they're not in schism, and also that Pope Francis is undermining the deposit of faith and get that squared away, and much, much more. Jess, I have a a good news, um, well, good-to-know file. Uh, This is kind of interesting. CNN, (laughs) they had the ratings. They're well below um, the, not Fox, um, Newsmax Newsmax. uh, ratings, and this is the first time this has happened, so I see things getting... Uh, better and better where people aren't putting up with liberalism. I actually I was at a baseball game my son took me to at Dodger Stadium. Another good sign, the Bud Light beer, uh, nobody was buying it. And, I mean, I, there were stacks of it back behind the the, uh, the store there where they were selling it. And uh, this is, I'm wondering, Jesse, maybe people are saying, I'm having enough of this woke culture. I'm not going to support it. So those are all good signs. And also, good to know, file... Uh, Bishop Daly of Spokane, Washington, believe it or not, Jess, he went to school with my wife at USF, Hmm. and Father Fesu had a big influence on him. Well, what he's doing is he's uh, supporting the NBA legend John Stockton uh, regarding his support for this football coach. The school fired him, Washington State University. Why? Because he refused the COVID jab. And so now Bishop Daly is standing with him saying he has a right to do that. And, you know, Jesse, I don't see too many bishops doing that, so I want to just say thank you, Bishop Daly, for standing up for what's right. Wow, that's good news. You know what, Terry, the long-awaited report by Special Counsel John Hurt oh, Durham, yeah. it, uh, his task was to look into the FBI's investigation of yes. the Trump campaign right. for Russian collusion. Yes, It was released on Monday, and he concluded that the FBI should have never launched an investigation into the surprise, Trump campaign. Surprise, 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 Jesse. Yep. John Durham, the special counsel, the 300-page report found a damning conclusion. He said this, quote, Based on the review of Crossfire Hurricane and related intelligence activities, we conclude that the department and the FBI failed to uphold their important mission to strict fidelity to the law in connection with certain events, and activities described in this report, Donald Trump was vindicated of those false charges against him, Terry. Let me ask you a question, Jesse. Did those charges at the time affect the election in any way? Question. Entirely. Of course. We wouldn't have uh, Joe Brandon wouldn't be the president right now if it wasn't for this. Uh, uh, these uh, false accusations. False accusations against uh, Trump. Absolutely. Okay, that's yeah. What I thought. Anything yep. else, Jess? Also, yeah. Study shows 70% of abortions are coerced wow. or, or not what women really wanted. 
Wow. Can you get that? 70% of abortions are coerced. Also, $36 billion to Ukraine. The Biden administration on Tuesday announced a new military and package of $1.2 billion oh, no. U.S. taxpayer dollars for Ukraine, bringing the total since its war with Russia began to... We've given them $36.9 billion. I'm so glad I didn't vote for this guy. The Pentagon announced the package as a way to reaffirm the steadfast U.S. support for Ukraine, including to bolster its air defenses and sustain its artillery ammunition needs. Also, journalist debunks Newsom hate, hate claims. The administration of Governor Gavin Newsom, Democrat from California, mm-hmm. has introduced a so-called hate hotline, yeah. allowing Californians to, to report incidents of purported hate towards their actual uh, toward their actual or perceived identities hate incidents are not rising one journalist argued in response to the initiative tolerance of racial sexual and religious minorities have never been higher the elites are manufacturing a fake crisis which is a hate crisis as a pretext for for mass spying blacklists and censorship and finally, can I just jump in for a yeah. Houston since I'm in California? You know what that yes. man's doing, Jesse? He's setting the stage for wanting to be the president of the United States. He's pushing all these liberal agendas saying, I'm your guy, Democratic Party. Look at me. Mm-hmm. That's my take. Continue, Jess. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Also, Navy, Navy faces scrutiny for drag recruiter. The Navy's decision to enlist a TikTok drag queen influencer as a digital ambassador to entice people to join the U.S. Armed Forces mm-hmm has some lawmakers and others questioning the Navy's thinking. A group of 14 Republican senators sent a letter to Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro that asked questions about the appropriateness of the content and specifically about the use of TikTok, which has raised national security concerns in recent years. That's it, Terry. Wow. Wow. Jess, let's get some soul food in our soul after all that. <laughs> Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. I'm going to do Acts chapter 16 oh, today, the first reading. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. The crowd in Philippi joined in the attack on Paul and Silas, and the magistrates had them stripped and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After inflicting many blows on them, they threw them into prison and instructed the jailer to guard them securely. When he received these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and secured their feet to a stake. <laughs> About midnight, when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God as the prisoners listened, there was suddenly such a severe earthquake that the foundations of the jail shook. All the doors flew open and the chains of all were pulled loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted out in a loud voice, Do no harm to yourself. We are all here. He asked for a light and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household will be saved. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to everyone in his house, He took them in that hour of the night and baptized their wounds. Then he and all his family were baptized at once. He brought them up into his house and provided a meal where this household rejoiced at having come to faith in God, the word of the Lord. Thanks. Praise. Thanks be to God, Jesse. I'm glad that you read the Acts 
That's a powerful reading about early Christianity, brother. Yeah, two things uh, jump out at me here. Uh, how are people saved? Uh, not Muhammad, not Buddha, nope. not the New Age movement. Nope, not only uh, one way. Yeah, not, not Allah. People are saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what that means, you have to believe what he did for us on Calvary. You have to believe that he rose from the dead. Yep. You have to believe he ascended into heaven. And you have to believe he, is, he established the Catholic Church. And you have to believe he also gave, him, gave us himself in the Last Supper, what we call the Holy Eucharist now. So when we say believe in Jesus, there's a lot to that. And finally, notice how God's grace comes into a family, comes in through the Father. Uh, this, uh, this jailer that's about to kill himself, he's asking Paul and Silas, well, how can I be saved? Uh, they tell him... Uh, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you notice it says you and your household will be saved. The grace of God flows through the patriarch of the family flows through the man. We see it right here. Oh, yeah. This is a classic example. His faith is going to bring salvation to his family. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. Paul and Silas went over to his house and the Bible says that his entire house was baptized. Why were they baptized? It's called vicarious faith. As a result of that faith in Jesus, they were all uh, uh, baptized vicariously because some of them were probably babies. Some of them probably had not hit the age of reason. So they were baptized based on the faith of the patriarch. Terry? Well said, Jesse. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room right now. Full Sheen ahead. Jesse, talking about baptism, here's a new birth. This is what Bishop Sheen says. If we are to live in a higher life, we must die to the lower life. If we live in the lower life of this world, we die to a higher life, which is in Christ. Can't have both. He says, to put the whole law in a beautiful paradox, our divine Lord said, if we wish to save our life, we must lose it. Mm. That is, if we wish to save it for eternity. We must lose it for some time. If we wish to save it for the Father's mansions, we must lose it for this dull world. If we wish to save it for perfect happiness, we must lose it for this fleeting pleasure of mortality. Just, you know, that says a mouthful about having a focus in life. The world, the devil, and the flesh, what are they doing? They're telling us, this is all you got, man. Have a good time. There's nothing after this. And they're lying. Terry, and that's exactly the way uh, the devil tempts us. Because life is short, eternity is forever. You don't believe me? Just go to the graveyard, go to a cemetery, <laughs> look at the date of birth, and then look at the day that they died. And in between, there's a dash. And that dash is a very short time here on yeah. planet Earth. Whatever you do in that dash called life, that's going to determine where you're going to spend eternity and I'll tell you one thing, uh, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He never sleeps, Terry. <laughs> he's always going after us because uh, he's trying to get some red meat in hell. He's trying to get as much red meat as possible. Who's the red meat? Human souls. Well said. Up next, Thomas Stork, the author of Prosperity Gospel, How Greed and Bad Philosophy Distorted Christ's Teachings, and much, much more. Stay with us, family. You're listening to The Terry and Jesse Show. We're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, Jess Romero, Terry Barber, we'd be billionaires. Stay with us, family. We're back. Go ahead, Jess. You got it. We're waiting for... Thomas Stork, he's a tan author. He just came up with a book. It's called The Prosperity Gospel, How Greed and Bad Philosophy 
distorted Christ's teachings. Uh, so we're waiting for him to connect through Zoom. I want to make some comments, and my, my engineer will tell me when he's here. Yeah. Yeah, when he connects. So what is the prosperity gospel? Most of you have seen the TBN channel, or at, oh, least, yeah. you, at least you've... Trinity, uh, yep. Yeah, you, you, you've passed by it, you know, oh, when, yeah. when you're, with your remote control. They have large audiences. They're, everybody there, they're part of the prosperity gospel. They're called also like health and wealth gospels. Right. And, they, and they're high in emotion. They're not that uh, steeped in doctrine. Oh, here he is, Thomas Stork. Thomas, can you hear me, my friend? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Thomas. Welcome to the Tim and Jesse Show, and uh, thank you. You've done a mighty service to Holy Mother Church by writing the book, The Prosperity Gospel, How Greed and Bad Philosophy Distorted Christ's Teachings. Thomas is a convert to the Catholic faith. He's been writing on Catholic social teaching, Catholic culture, and related topics since the early 1980s. He's an author, translator, and editor of nine previous books and of numerous articles and contributions to collected volumes He's, uh, he's got an undergraduate education from Kenyon College in Ohio and an MA from St. John's College in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Well, welcome to the show, my friend. You've done a big uh, service to the church because the prosperity gospel, this is huge. And I say this because there are many ex-Catholics, many fallen away Catholics that uh, are part of the audience at the TBN channel live and, and watching it on television because they do buy into it that God wants me to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so I'm glad that you've, uh, that you've uh, answered this question for Catholics. So th- the first question I want to ask you is, how is our way of thinking here in America as Americans, how is our way of thinking about economics, education, or other matters of our social life flawed, and how does it basically lead to the prosperity gospel? Well, that's, that's really the key question that you asked, uh, Jesse. Thank you. The, the point I wanted to do with my book was not just to talk about the prosperity gospel, which is pretty easy to make fun of and uh, show his flaws, but I wanted to show how the setting, the social cultural setting that it has in this country fuels that, that uh, distorted gospel and how easy it is to go from the... Uh, our, our default cultural social setting to something as grotesque as the prosperity gospel. So to uh, answer your question exactly, it really has to do with the loss of, of inherent purpose in things, what Aristotle called our telos of things. And the, the most the easiest way to do is to talk about sex. Um, sex has an inherent purpose. What is that purpose? Child. Uh, this is not a purpose that the parent is the parent, whether or not the parents want the child, whether or not the those uh, uh, engaging in, in any kind of sexual activity want it, this is the inherent purpose of sex. And we can't change that. It's just built in to the process. So a lot of Catholics will recognize that, of course, and, and, and accept the church's teaching on that. But all the activities that we have, for example, you mentioned uh, economics, education, uh, they all have inherent purposes too. Maybe not as quite as obvious as as in sexual activity, but they all have inherent purposes. And in because and largely because of the philosophy of John Locke, and for other reasons too, which we can talk about, uh, this 
this inherent purpose of things has been forgotten. And so we have in this country, the idea that we as individuals can come up with whatever reason for doing something we want to. And this is most, most infamously um, uh, recorded in that statement, which I'll read, I'll read it right out of the book, so I, I won't paraphrase it, by Justice Anthony Kennedy in the Planned Parenthood case, where he oh, says, yeah. Oh, yeah. at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, uh. meaning of the universe and of the mystery of human life. Now, some people might say, oh, that statement just came out of nowhere. That was just something, product of the 1990s. Uh, and yeah, in, his, in a way, but it, actually I would argue, and I argue in the book, that it goes all the way back to the 18th century and the uh, founding documents of the country, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is understood as pursuing happiness in whatever way you want, whatever makes you happy. And if one thing makes you happy, then that's fine for you. Something else makes me happy, that's fine for me. And at the societal level, we're supposed to ignore all that. We're supposed to uh, have an, what's been called an empty public square where we just simply get along with treating each other, tolerating each other with liberty, but each individual actually comes up with his own meaning. John, Tom, let me, uh, let me ask you a question. So let's go back to John Locke was John, and his political philosophy because uh, in your book, I guess you maintain that he deeply influenced the way Americans think about politics, law, and nearly everything else. John Locke, uh, it goes to show you bad philosophy breeds bad theology. And uh, was John Locke, what, would he be considered one of the Enlightenment philosophers, or was he pre or post that? Yeah, he was definitely one of the Enlightenment philosophers. And, and in the English-speaking world, uh, certainly the most powerful, most, most influential, and um, possibly you could even say he's influential on the continent, because someone like Rousseau, Came much later than Locke. When Locke died in the in the early 18th century, and Rousseau didn't get didn't write his uh, famous book, The Social Contract, until about 50 years later. So Locke was definitely extremely important, and his political philosophy, as you can expect with a philosopher, his political philosophy presupposes his metaphysics, which were nominalist metaphysics, and uh, in, in nominalism, all you have are uh, individual things and necessarily there for you uh they they in human beings invest meaning as they want but uh but his, his, his political philosophy has been extremely influential in this country i mean justice scalia and unfortunately i couldn't remember what the opinion but justice scalia skypes him as saying john locke was the uh tremendous influence on the on the founding generation of the country so would you say so john locke uh would be in in in, uh, in philosophy to the secular humanist, what Saint Thomas Aquinas would be to the Catholic in terms of uh, in, in in terms of gravitas, correct? Yeah. The interesting thing about Locke is that he doesn't, unlike the continental philosophers like Rousseau or especially Voltaire, say he doesn't appear to be anti-religious. He's he actually wrote a book, uh, a letter on toleration, in which he was recommending religious toleration. And it seems like, oh, this man is, is very pro-religion, but he only is pro-religion if religion is reduced to kind of a nullity, to uh, has no influence on public policy. So for example, he gives an example in his, in his book. He says, suppose that there's a, a, a sect that believes in sacrificing sheep and there was a disease of sheep and the government decided that they 
couldn't have any sheep just being killed right now. They had to preserve sheep. Well, what are, what do you what happens in that case? These religious sect has to give up its religious practices. It can't. It, it, the state trumps religion, and that's mm. that's basically for a lot of that. Religion is a private thing. As long as you're not disobeying the law, that's fine. You can do what you want. But as long as soon as the law uh, infringes upon you, then you're you're stuck. You have to the, whatever religious sect it may be, whether it's the Catholic Church or some weird. Um, uh, tiny little sect, they have to uh, count out of the government. Well, it, Thomas, it seems like uh, th- that's exactly where we're at right now in 2023, what you just described. Let me ask you a question. So why has the United States been such fertile soil for Locke's ideas? Is it because we become kind of a secular country? Uh, we've uh, basically kicked God out of the public square, right? Well, yeah, but it's not. we have done that. But it, the roots of that go, again, back to the 18th century. Okay. And one of the things I mentioned in the book was that in Europe, willy-nilly, you have all kinds of reminders around you of the Catholic ages. You have, oh, even, if they're, even if these buildings, for example, monasteries, cathedrals, even if they're in ruins, they're there to remind you that, you know, there was another order. There was another way of life. And uh, you have, like, for example, with the recent coronation in England, these, some of these coronation ceremonies, many of them go back to Catholic ages. And, and you have the same kinds of things, leftovers from the Catholic way of life in, in Europe. Now, they don't have a lot of meaning, but they do serve as a kind of a counterweight. Whereas when the, when the Protestants came to this country, they were mostly, first of all, they were mostly the more radical Protestants. Uh, the, Church, the Church of England, it's true, was influential in the Southern colonies. But in the colonies that had intellectual weight, in this country, New England, they were the they were the more radical Protestants, and they uh, that's why the Protestants in this country are so they splinter all the time. They're just they just they just you know so many sects, whereas you wouldn't have that in Protestantism in Europe, where you have generally even state churches or or monolithic churches that uh, uh, have some kind of coherence, whereas here anybody can set up his own church. Tom, briefly tell us about the the, the 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 inherent purpose or telus of Lockean ethics, and uh, the in, inherent purpose or the telus, uh, you know, right understanding and the use of it from a Catholic perspective. Can you give us the Lockean perspective and the Catholic perspective on on a right understanding and the use of it? Well, the, the Lockean perspective, in practice, always comes down to your individual desire, okay. what, what you want. And it's, it's, again, I say, I want to stress that he's not anti-religious, but he's, he relegates religion to the private realm. So if you want to be religious, that's fine. No one's going to bother you as long as you obey the law. But um, there is no, there is no uh, overarching uh, mandate, mandate that would, would say, yeah, you're wrong. Uh, you you need to change your life. You're 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 you're, you're you, you think pleasure is the end of life. Well, it isn't. Well, Locke would say, if you think pleasure is the end of life, that's fine. As long as you obey the law, no one's going to bother you. Or if you think money making is the end of life, um, but uh, so that would, that's obviously a big difference. And, and as I say, it comes down to the privatization of um, a purpose in Locke. Yeah. So why and how have Catholics, by and large, succumbed to the American Lockean ethos? How did this happen? Well, when 
Protestantism was already an overwhelming presence in America. I mean, America was a Protestant country. And uh, the number of Catholics in the colonial era was very small. And although numbers are obviously, statistics are lacking for that period, there is good reason to think that there was a tremendous loss, even say before 1800, of, of Catholics uh, in the United States, either to indifferentism or Protestantism or whatever. Now, fast forward maybe 40 years to the 1840s, we began to get the tremendous Irish immigration after the famine in the 1840s. And then a little bit later, a lot of German Catholic immigrants and toward the end of the century, Italians, Poles, and other Slavs. Now- Hold that thought, Tom, hold that thought. We're going to a hard break. You're listening to uh, our, 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 my buddy here, Thomas Stork, The Prosperity Gospel. You can get this book, 10books.com. He'll be right back. We'll continue on the next segment. 10books.com, The Prosperity Gospel. The Prosperity Gospel, How Greed and Bad Philosophy Distorted Christ's Teachings. You can pick that book up at tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. The author, Thomas Stork. Uh, Get that book. This is is something that's impacted America. And Tom is explaining how this false gospel, this, this distorted gospel, has affected every single one of us, by and large. Tom, I was asking you about how, uh, how the, the Catholics have, by and large, succumbed to American Lockean ethics. And I also want to ask you, how does the social doctrine of the church offer a comprehensive way of dealing with a Lockean cosmology in which purpose has been reduced to the level of individual desire, what feels good to me here and now? Well, as far as the first question, uh, I was sketching about the Catholic immigration in the 19th century. But to, to be brief with that, by the time Catholics began coming here in large numbers starting in the 1840s, Protestantism was, a, was a, already uh, in control of the establishment. And, and originally, most of the Catholics became poor, uh, not well-educated, and the church was just struggling to provide the most basic uh, administration of the sacraments and a little bit later Catholic education. There were a couple of attempts to uh, compromise and have Catholics, for example, in New York City, uh, Archbishop Hughes uh, insisted that uh, if they were going to have the Bible in school, the, the Catholics, be, children be allowed to use the Douay Bible, Catholic Bible. But no, the, the school board wouldn't have anything to do with that. They had to read wow. the Protestant Bible. And eventually, uh, after the, uh, the uh, third conference of uh, Baltimore, the bishops decided to set up their own school system uh, everywhere in the country. But it was, it was the church was just struggling to provide the basic um, uh, basic needs for the for Catholics in terms of the sacraments. And to be honest with you, a lot of Catholics didn't perceive the problem. And then you had the Americanist controversy starting in the 1890s when you had a number of bishops, including uh, Cardinal Gibbons and especially uh, Archbishop John Ireland of St. Paul, Minnesota, who were actually trying to Americanize immigrants. And they were not very prudent, and they didn't really have a very good understanding of what was going on. So they, they, they um, Ireland especially, you can find incredibly bad quotes of his, where he just, he wants Catholics to sort of lose their 
Catholic ethos and accept everything about democracy, about the American way of life. As, and um, that, of course, was not helpful to avoiding the uh, kind of thinking that led to the prosperity gospel. Now, as far as Catholic social teaching is concerned, this is very interesting because during the same period of the American Americanist controversy, Leo XIII was the Pope. And Leo XIII, it was an amazingly wonderful Pope, a brilliant man, and uh, he really he really saw the needs of the church absolutely clearly. And he issued a number of encyclicals setting forth Catholic teaching on the social order as kind of a restatement, a restatement for the 19th century, but he didn't compromise on anything. He, he tried to explain things to people, but he didn't compromise. He, the state, for example, in, in Leo's, the state is, as such has duties to God. It's not just you have a duty to God and I have a duty to God, but the state has a duty to God. The state has a duty to sponsor worship of God, not in the sense of holding mass or anything like that, but the state has a duty to acknowledge God and acknowledge the true religion. And Leo XIII was very clear on that. And, in, and even in a letter to the American bishops, he said, well, the church is doing well in the United States. That's true. But it, she would be doing even better if the state supported the church and um, didn't, didn't try to be religiously neutral. So Leo, Leo was very good on this. But Leo's message was pretty much not taken advantage of in the United States. It was either ignored or in some cases opposed, or in some cases, they just felt they couldn't do anything about it. They didn't have the resources to do anything about it. Uh, they didn't have the resources to convert the culture. And that was what I would fault our ancestors with 100, 150 years ago. They didn't, bother, well, many of them were laudably trying to convert individuals. There were very few who understood, well, wait a minute, this culture is, inim is inimical to Catholic life. We need to try to change the culture, not every every way, of course, but in many significant respects, we need to try to change the culture. There were a few people who we asked, to like a, um, someone who's pretty much forgotten nowadays, Arthur Troyce, who was a longtime Catholic editor who was about 30, 40 years, he was editing his own magazine and he was quite influential at the time. And he understood the need to um, change the culture, but he was just a voice crying in the wilderness. In general, German Catholics had a better understanding of um, German American Catholics had a better understanding of what needed to be done, but uh, they tended to gather in enclaves where they spoke German and um, they alienated the Irish. They really annoyed uh, annoyed the Irish, and the um, and then after World War One, when World War One came along, the whole German uh, very powerful German infrastructure was kind of destroyed because of us being in the war against Germany. Hmm. Thomas, so uh, the, the, the goal of the Catholic is the, to bring in the usher in the social kingship of Christ. Uh, and you've already kind of given us the role that religion played in American life. You had Catholics and Protestants in this country vying for, for, to, to influence the culture. Would you say that the Protestants influence the culture more than the Catholics? And what does it mean to convert a culture how does that differ from converting individuals simply as individuals? Well, yeah, I mean, there's no question. The, the culture is, is primarily Protestant, and the Catholic contributions have been rather superficial, things like St. Patrick's Day parades or something like that, that are really just window dressing. <laughs> uh, but as far as, as far as saying, you know, the social order and the state have a duty to God, 
that's just foreign to the way Americans think. And um, so we had really zero influence in that respect. And uh, this is not anything new. This was this is, goes back into the 18th, 19th centuries. Um, now, how do you how do you convert to culture? Well, the only the only way it would have been very difficult to do it at the time because the church's resources were pretty meager. But the, where you would start would be converting Catholics. You would have to work with the Catholic body uh, as it is and um, tell you, look, you know, we love our country. Our, we have duties toward our country, but nonetheless, we want to make our country better. We want to make our country Catholic and not just Catholic in the terms of individuals are Catholics. We want to make the whole ethos, the whole culture Catholic. And that would be the first thing what we have to do is make is try to convince Catholics to do this. There was a, a convert, uh, a Columbia University history professor, Carlton Hayes, uh, who came into the church in the early 20s or around there. And he, he, in a speech he gave in the 20s, he said, the Catholic church, despite the amazing increase in the numbers, has had very little influence on the culture, on the general culture. Hmm. And uh, that's exactly right. He was exactly right. Um, the and the culture was Protestant, overwhelmingly so. And people talk about, for example, John Kennedy's capitulation in the, uh, his speech to the Houston Ministerial Association. But they don't realize that Al Smith, uh, who ran as the first Catholic to run for president as a, on a major party in 1928, he made the same kind of capitulation in, uh, uh, during his campaign. Wow. But somebody, a Protestant, uh, Protestant uh, Episcopalian attorney had written an article in The Atlantic accusing Smith of, well, if you become president, the Pope's going to, um, you know, control policy. And Smith wrote a reply in the Atlantic and saying, well, I'm not, I won't take my orders from any ecclesiastical body. They won't, they won't have any influence over me. The same kind of thing Kennedy said, uh, but it's not as well, not, not well known at all that Smith had capitulated just as much. Yeah. Tom, and also the, the same thing that Joe Biden is doing right now. He's, uh, he's living those words in his, in his presidency. Uh, let me ask you, uh, so we're, uh, pick up Tom's book. It's called The Prosperity Gospel, tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com, How Greed and Bad Philosophy Distorted Christ's Teachings. Tom, why did the church in the U.S. not make any serious attempt at the conversion of culture? And who are some of the Catholics, if you can tell me, that did make such efforts? And why did they mostly fail? Well, I think... We were laboring under a tremendous inferiority complex. I already mentioned the fact that we our resources were stretched thin, and uh, there was a tremendous amount of loss to uh, to Catholic. I mean, there, there's a controversy about how many how many immigrants were lost to the faith in the 19th century. There was a um, a priest wrote a book in the early 20s called "Has the Immigrant Kept the Faith," and he argued that the losses since, say, 1800 had not been great. But a lot of people think his methodology was pretty flawed and that the losses had been tremendous. And actually, when you think about it, you probably know people yourself who, oh, yeah, my great-grandfather was a Catholic or my grandmother was a Catholic. And uh, I, I've met so many people who you, you either you know by their names or by something like that or by they can tell you, yeah, my ancestors were Catholics, but they have no Catholic... Uh, memory right now. It's my suspicion that if everybody who came to the United States and their descendants had remained Catholics, that we'd have 
probably a clear majority of Catholics in this country today. Uh, mm. So there were there were tremendous losses, and um, and then there was an inferiority complex that I mentioned. We were always looking over our shoulder, trying to be better Americans than the Protestants. Well, better Americans, yeah, but not better Americans in the Protestant mode, which is what we were doing. We were, we were letting them set the standard. And uh, we, we were saying, yeah, we want to be, we want to be like you and we, we can do it better. We can do, we can be the same as you, but we can do it better. And that, that's just an inferiority complex that um, uh, shows that we didn't make any serious attempts. Yeah. Now you asked me who who were some of the people trying to convert to culture. Yeah, well, give some names. Yeah, Arthur Preuss that I mentioned, and by the way, there's a there's a biography of him by Father Rory Connolly of the Archdiocese of Washington, uh, a, a biography of Rory, of Arthur Preuss that I think is still available. Uh, it's a very interesting man. Uh, he he wanted to bring the thought. That was, hey Tom, what we're we're running into the end of the show here. Okay. I want to thank you for coming on with us on the Terry and Jesse Show. Pick up Tom Stork's book, The Prosperity Gospel, 10books.com, 10books. Go to 10books, Prosperity Gospel, and buy this book. Good stuff. Hey, Tom, we'll have you on another time. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for coming on, and thanks for the wonderful contribution to Holy Mother Church. See you next time. Hey, thank you very much for having me. All right, Tom. We'll be back. Stick around. All right. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Bishop Strickland is known for his outspoken defense of Catholic teaching, and he's taken a firm stance against uh, confusion in the church. Uh, he's Tyler's, Tyler, Texas's bishop. He's declared his public opposition to Pope Francis, his Program of undermining the deposit of faith. Very strong language. Yeah, and that's that's what he opposes. Yep. Say it again. Program of undermining the deposit of faith. Doesn't oppose him. He opposes that section there, what he's doing through his pontificate. He's done this as a part of a series of tweets in which he also changes position regarding the Society of St. Pius X, I guess, he, had, he spoke to Bishop Schneider. He did. I, I, I'm and, assuming, and Jesse, right? Virgin Most Powerful had a role in that one, brother. Ah, and I'll I, tell you, I figured yeah. that. And the reason is, is because Bishop Strickland communicated with us directly. And with Bishop Strickland and uh, Bishop uh, Schneider knowing each other because of the Virgin Most Powerful radio shows we've done, he was able to communicate directly with Bishop Schneider. And, and humbly, he said, you know what? I stand corrected. So I just think you got a humble bishop. But you also have a, pish, a bishop who will speak the truth, and, and uh, even though he's going to pay a, a big price for doing this. Yeah. And so Bishop Strickland, he's, known, he's well known to our audience, obviously. He's on, the, he's on our network. Yep. He's also known, well known to LifeSite News, Church Militant. Yep. And he's, a, he's an outspoken defender of Catholic teaching. Yep. And he's taking a firm stance against the confusion in the Catholic Church. Really, that's coming from the Synod of Synodality. That's where it's that's coming exactly from. That's exactly where it comes from. Yeah. And, and he, in a Twitter post on May 13, Bishop Strickland doubled down on his prior rejection of a view held by a Catholic podcaster, Patrick Coffin, namely that Pope Francis is not the real Pope. Uh, Bishop Strickland wrote this, Please allow me to clarify regarding Patrick Coffin has challenged the authenticity of the, of the Pope Francis. If this is accurate, 
I disagree. I believe Pope Francis is a pope, but it is time for me to say that I reject his program of undermining the deposit of faith. Follow Jesus. Uh, that, that's my position as well. Mine too. Per, personally, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's the pope. Once that white smoke went up, uh, yeah. Whether you like it or not, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry you, yeah, to he, say that. Yeah, exactly. Guys, and I have a lot of friends, Patrick Hoffman being yeah, one of them. Yeah, Dr. Others. Ed Mazza. I don't yeah, agree with him. They, they have a different position. Uh, I just, I, I uh, disagree with them, but we're still friends. Uh, we just have, we haven't, we vehemently disagree on this issue. Mm-hmm. He's the Pope. I just think he's not the best Pope we've ever had. Uh, so Strickland's original message has, has had been to support the Magis Center, which had issued a public statement distancing, distancing themselves from Coffin due to his views regarding the vacancy of the papal throne. Father Robert Spitzer, president of the center, had given an interview with Coffin before learning of Coffin's position. Father Spitzer subsequently withdrew his connection from Coffin publicly. Uh, it says here, yeah, Bishop, Bishop Strickland supported, saying that I joined Father Spitzer and fully endorsed his stance regarding any statements from Patrick Coffin, Coffin regarding Pope Francis. And shortly after the Tyler Bass prelate is issued a message of warning about the conflicting voices and urging instead that Catholics always turn to Jesus. Some hours later, Strickland issued another message warning against attending the SSPX. He described the SSPX as one of the schismatic movements, which alongside the set of Acantus were an injury to the body of Christ, no matter how well intended they are. We must fight for total unity, not just aspects of Catholicism. The Texas prelate was swiftly criticized by many online, with Catholics pointing out the number of statements from various church officials defending the SSPX is not in schism. Uh, and so, uh, Terry, you probably know a lot more about all well, of this. Yeah, I do. But, but all yes, the backstory. I do, but I mean, the bottom line is you got a humble bishop who said, look, if you can show me that they're not in schism, which Bishop Athanasius Snyder did, he says, you know what? I can eat mud. I can say I'm wrong. He always says this on our radio show. If if I'm wrong, please tell me right on the air, Terry. If I said something that's not what the church teaching. Now, how many bishops do we know, Jess, or even in the church, who will humble themselves when they say something wrong? I wish there were more, but I just it just shows me that Strickland is the real deal, and we're yes. just blessed to have him on our network. And I would say pray for him because what's happening right now is he had the guts to say what most bishops would never say. And I'm, I'm going to say this, Jesse. I think he's going to inspire more bishops and priests to speak up about this Senate that's coming up on synodality and criticizing it more because it's not part of the deposit of faith. And I'll just say this right on the air. This is going to shock people. Uh, they say they're going to give Bishop Strickland, are you ready, uh, notice that uh, the nuncio, tell them about Bishop Strickland saying, you know, something like this about the Pope. Well, this is the same nuncio years ago at the bishop's conference, wagged his finger at him and said, Bishop Strickland, we're watching you. Stop talking about the deposit of faith. There is no deposit of faith. And what has Strickland done? Just the opposite. He keeps talking about the deposit of faith because he doesn't really care, Jesse. It's the truth that sets us free. If, if he goes down because he's speaking the truth, oh, well. You know what he said? On the 13th of, Oct- of uh, May, Our Lady of Feast Day of our Fatima, he said, that's what I, and when I spoke about this, and you know what? I'm not leaving. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go down quietly. He said, if they, they're going to have to force me out and say exactly why they're going to get me out because I'm not leaving. And I thought, 
Man, Thomas More, these are the guys that are just a handful of bishops in history who are willing to stand up in spite of persecution. That's right. And one of the things that as Catholics, we need to learn to stay in our lane. I'll tell you, I have a lot of friends, again, that say that Pope Francis is not the Pope. And the reason I I've, I've just completely stayed out of that is because I'm just a lay person, Terry. I don't have no authority to make right. declarations like that. None. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, some people were saying, no, Pope Benedict was the real Pope. Well, guess what? Pope Benedict's dead. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, he, he's dead. And and all the literature that Pope Benedict wrote, right. he was, yeah, he was always saying, no, I, I did step down exactly. uh, according to the proper channels. I mean, yeah. this guy was a, this guy was a Rhodes Scholar. He knew, he knew how to resign. Right. And he has, and he says that he, that he did. That's good enough for me. I think a lot of people, Terry, just have heartburn because they do. we're not, we're not used to seeing uh, a, a papacy that's woke. We're not used to no. that. And so I think a lot of people have cognitive dissonance of and par- part of their mind just says, no, then that means he can't be the Pope. So in their mind, they just shut down the ability because a lot of them, myself included, we've been defending the papacy for 30, 40 years, that's right. doing lectures and seminars yep. and conferences. Yep. And so all these verses that we know by heart and the fathers of the church, yep. I think it gives us heartburn when we've seen the Francis papacy, but still... It's just like on a human level, uh, there are good fathers and there are bad fathers. When I was a cop, I took a lot of bad fathers to jail. Yeah, and uh, and and all the good fathers out there, uh, they they produce good children that have uh, done good for society. Uh, it doesn't surprise me. There, there, there's always going to be, as Jesus Christ said, good fish and bad fish in the kingdom of heaven, weeds and wheat in the right. kingdom of heaven. Uh, you know, he he also said, uh, you know, wheat and chaff. The fact is, Jesus warned us that within the one mystical body of Christ, until the end of time, there's going to be good people and bad people that sit next to each other in the pew, look Catholic, smell Catholic, and received all the sacraments. But some of those people, Terry, again, they just uh, all they, uh, as, as John the Apostle says, all they, although they were with us. They were never really from us. And Jesse, I want to. And just, so we'll, let, we'll yeah. just let God decide. Yeah, absolutely. God, God, God's going to do the harvest, not me. It's exactly. not who I say. This guy's not of the Pope. This guy's not a bishop. God's going to take care of this. I'm just going to stay busy working on my personal holiness, Amen, bro. and trying to evangelize as many people as I can and bring him into no, into Peter's Ark. And well said. And I just want to make two comments. Cardinal Seurat made it clear, a very holy cardinal that even the Pope can't change any doctrines of the Church, okay? And so um, the Holy Father in, 19, in 2018 at a conference with the bishops of Italy said it was okay for them, the bishops, to criticize the Pope. So the Holy Father's already offered, hey, come on, give me some criticism if you want. I'm not going to hold you against it. Yeah. Now, yep. I'm going to hold him on that, Jesse, because if Bishop Strickland gets reprimanded for this, then I'm going to ask, why is it selective? Mm. You see, yeah, there's only yeah. certain guys. Why did Cardinal Burke get canned? Why did C- Cardinal Mueller get canned? All these guys who spoke the truth of the gospel over the last 10 years, they can name more bishops. Cardinal Seurat's another one because they speak the truth. And I think that when Strickland goes down, I'm going to ask that question. Why is it consistent that only Orthodox prelates get taken out when you've got guys that are so liberal teaching that the Bible's wrong about homosexuality running the Senate of synodality, 
I mean, this is wrong, and I'm going to say it on the air. It's just plain wrong, and it needs to be corrected. And Bishop Strickland, thank you for taking him the courage to speak the truth about the deposit of faith. Yep, and uh, the last two popes, Pope Francis and Pope Benedict XVI. Both said it. And audiences have said, you can criticize me. That's right, Jess. Okay, this isn't communism. They're not above, they've said themselves in lectures, you can criticize me. Pope Francis said that. Pope Benedict XVI has said that. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, Canon 212, paragraph 907. Just do it respectfully. Don't just don't add, don't use ad hominems, obviously. Do it respectfully, but of course. Uh, Matthew 18, 15 also tells you, if you've got a problem with somebody, a brother in Christ, go and tell him. St. Paul followed that in Galatians chapter 2. He had a problem with what Peter was, Peter's hypocrisy. So what did, what did St. Paul do? He went up to Peter and he rebuked him to his face. This is the Christian thing to do. It's called fraternal correction. It's part of the spiritual works of mercy. And instruct the ignorant and advise the doubtful, Terry. Well said. And again, it takes humility to be corrected. I've told Jesse, and you know what, Jess? I would say we've done it over the 20 years. Oh, yeah. We've made mm-hmm. mistakes. You know, we say, I was wrong on this topic. Yep. It, does it really hurt too much to say, I'm sorry, or I'm, I made a mistake? We're all human. But I think what's happening, Jesse, and this is the same thing that happened in the 4th century with Arianism, very few bishops wanted to speak out against Arianism because they would lose their career, their position as bishops. And nothing's changed. I believe most bishops are not going to speak out because of the cost it would cost them. And that's why I think Bishop Strickland is a hero in my mind because he's speaking the truth in charity. Jess, your final that's right. thoughts. Yeah, we're, we're called to put the spotlight of truth upon this culture of death. Amen. Remember, virgin most powerful, we're like a lighthouse amidst the gathering <laughs> storm. And we're going to help you guys pray America great again. We're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Remember, live in a state of grace. Amen. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Yeah. Wake up, America. Don't hit the snooze button. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Amen. And don't forget Our Lady of Fatima. She said it. Souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Offer up your sacrifices for the salvation of souls. Make it worthwhile. Make it meritorious rather than wasted pain. How you can do that? Offer it all to Jesus. Participate in the salvific work of Jesus Christ in your life, whether you're four years old or 104. May God richly bless you and your family. Up next, the Bishop Strickland Hour.